Welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today, I am your host, Jesse Fritz, holistic empowerment coach here to help you along whatever part of your healing journey you happen to be on. Today on the podcast, I have someone I'm super excited for all of you to hear from, author Sarah Ramey. Um, Sarah's book, The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness, has become one of my favorite books in the last few weeks, and I'm not just saying that because she's on the podcast. Any of us out there living with chronic, invisible, or mysterious issues... We'll be able to relate and connect to this book within the first few pages. I got a hold of this book just a few weeks before it was published and I could not put it down. I related to it so, so much and it was, and I was engrossed with Sarah's story right away. The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness is now available for ordering, so make sure to snag it up. I'll have links in the blog, otherwise you can search for it at your local bookstore, on Amazon, or at your local library. It's the perfect time to get back into reading if you're listening to this episode when it goes up and most of us are currently social distancing in our houses. So I can't wait for you all to listen in. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Chronically Healing Podcast to never miss an episode and make sure to rate and review it so that we can continue to grow this space. I'm super active over on Instagram as well at chronically.healing. So feel free to connect over there at any time. So now with Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today, I have author Sarah Ramey on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. I'm so excited to have you. And I was actually just talking to you right before I started recording about how much I've been loving your book so far. Your book is The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness. And I am absolutely loving it. I started reading it about a week ago. So I'm excited to jump into talking about your book, but also talking about your story and about who you are now and who you were then and kind of going through that stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Of course. So to start off, um, let's see, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and, and we'll kind of dive into your story. Okay. Um, so my name is Sarah Ramey and, um, I, (laughs) it's funny. I've been for the book, you have to write a lot of bios and things to send out to people. And I look at other people's bios and it's like what they've been doing with their life. And and for me, because of the illness stuff that is like so uh, defined so much of my adult life, like having for just really long periods of time taken me out of work or, or unable to work, things like that. Or I've just been working on this, this, <laughs> this book. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about like what, you know, when I do in my story, it's like, well, (laughs) I am uh, the person with the mysterious illness and the person writing about the mysterious illness for like a very, very long time. (laughs) Um, But, but so, yeah, uh, I got sick, you know, my senior year of college, which was a long time ago now, it's about 17 years ago. And, um, and so since then uh, have had, you know, I've been struggling with that the, the whole time, but uh, in the interim, I'm also, I'm a musician. I'm uh, by the name of Wolf Larson, and then I am have done a little bit in politics. I worked for the Obama campaign. We were just talking about that, mm-hmm. um, but way back, way back in the, in the hope, hope and change days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. And, I know, uh, I miss it. <laughs> I know, it really, it is very, uh, 
just even just strange to think about like what a radically different time, especially just like that one moment in time was because it was so like people really felt hopeful and that's kind of unusual. <laughs> and so, and now obviously we've, we're in a different time. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, so I, I, I worked in politics for Obama for a while. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'm uh, a writer, but really just that I am writing, wrote this book <laughs> and that, that's it. I haven't written other things. It's just this book. Yeah. Yeah. But this book is so, um, like I'm trying to figure out the right word. Let's see if my brain fog will like lay <laughs> off a little bit, but there's just so much to it. Like even I am about 200 pages in and I feel like there's so much to your story. That's why even like talking to you right now, kind of wanting you to give, you know, a tidbit of your story. There's <laughs> so much to it. And I think there's so much to it that, um, that people can relate to for sure. So. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, cause yes, when it comes to the illness, <laughs> there's a lot, there is like, it is, it is that, which is why I ended up writing this book is cause there's a lot in terms of what's happened in my life that has to do with that. But when people normally ask me like, oh, tell me about yourself. I'm not like, well, <laughs> like, <laughs> let me tell you about the ups and downs of this horrible story. But in this in this context, it makes more sense to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, so I'm and I'm I'm happy to. It's just uh, it is it is kind of hard to to know even where to begin sometimes. Like yeah. um, I'm happy to do that if you want to kind of talk about how how things got started or. Yeah, definitely. I think that that that's a good way that people can kind of relate to your story and and hear a little bit about it. Yeah. So. Uh, I was a senior in college um, way back in 2003, and I had been having uh, a series of urinary tract infections, and I had, prior to this had just been just completely, you know, quote unquote, normal, like was, you know, the, like in an acapella group and directing the musical and like just like very active and, you know, normal and, um, and had very few health health issues um some nagging stuff but but really nothing serious and then uh i had this uti that wouldn't go away and i went home my parents are both physicians which has turned out to be this like really important part of just me understanding uh what's happened to me um uh so i went home and i asked them what what i should do and they sent me to a colleague to a urologist and he uh suggested that um, I needed this procedure called uh, a urethral dilation, which is like, <laughs> it's really horrible to talk about if anybody has had traumatic uh, pelvic procedures. I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to this, this part. And so it's, uh, it's basically they put this instrument in the urethra and they rip it a little bit and it, um, it's, it's supposed to, it sounds bad, but it's supposed to be benign and it's supposed to just sort of break this, this cycle of muscle spasm. And so I was like, okay, that sounds fine and uh and it sounds awful but okay if it'll help yeah yeah exactly right which is i think something that so many of us are like okay i mean that sounds terrible but i'm like mm -hmm. do it and i want to feel better so i'll do whatever this authority is telling me that i should do mm -hmm. and so i did and i like saddle up and i get into the stirrups and it's supposed to be like a little bit painful but i mean he 
assures me that it's, you know, not nothing serious. And he starts with the procedure and it is just like the most blinding amount of pain I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm, you know, freaking out and crying and screaming and he's become like very agitated with me. And it's just this horrible <laughs> scene where it just like things that sort of gotten out of control really fast. And, um, but he was like, well, you know, we've already begun. So either I'm going to finish this or, you know, uh, or you can just leave. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, obviously should finish the procedure. And so he does. And um, I went home and I thought that that would just be like the end of it, obviously, because mm. even if it was difficult in the moment, like it just never occurred to me that that would be the beginning of this insane saga. But that night I go home and I uh, go to sleep and I'm not feeling very well. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and I have this very high fever. My body is uh, shaking uncontrollably. My, all of my muscles are burning and I've uh, become septic. And I, well, I didn't know that, but I went downstairs to my mom who's a doctor and she realized what was going on. And so she took me to the hospital and yeah, I had become septic from that procedure and nobody really had any idea why they were like, you know, maybe that's just unlucky for you, but don't worry, kind of the same thing of like, it's another bad thing, but don't worry, you're young, you're resilient, you're going to be just fine. And so that's what I thought again. And I was in the hospital for a week on uh, antibiotics and was really not getting better. I was recovered from the sepsis, but was really feeling quite sick and just like sleeping constantly and hurting everywhere. And the pelvic pain was really bad and my colon stopped working and it was just really bad. And, but everybody was like, you've been through a terrible shock. <laughs> You'll surely get over this soon. And so I was like, okay. And I, they gave me a pick line, which is um, it's like a line of antibiotics that goes up, uh, you know, your arm into your heart. And it's like, you, you use it for a month. And I, so I was put on antibiotics for a month and I went back to college. And this is when like, it started to become clear that like, something was genuinely wrong. Like I just was not getting better and weeks were going by and I was getting worse and kind of in all of those ways, like really bad muscle aches, really, really bad fatigue, really bad pelvic pain and really bad um, gastrointestinal issues. And, and this, and that was just sort of like the beginning of <laughs> the mystery illness of just like, I, I, after that, like clearly had to start going to doctors to try to figure out what was going on. But, and I went to, I mean, the best doctors like on the East Coast because my parents are such good physicians and doctor after doctor after doctor, they would, they, they all took it really seriously in the beginning because there was no, you know, they, I was their, their friend's daughter and they were like, of course, of course you were so healthy just a moment ago. Like, you know, of course this is a serious illness, but as like, and I think this happens to a lot of people as the tests were run and they came back negative, um, a new diagnosis started to emerge, which was that, uh, as one urologist said to my parents, uh, like so many young women her age, uh, I think Sarah's problem is psychological. Mm. And that was just, I remember the first time that guy said that I was sitting right there, right there. <laughs> and I, but he didn't, he was just pretending like I wasn't even there anymore. And he was just talking to my parents and, um, 
I remember that. It just like felt like he had just like stabbed me in the chest or something. I was like, wait, what? We had just traveled hundreds of miles to come see him. It was like expensive. And and his conclusion was, well, since I can't solve it, mm. I've decided that it's uh, psychological. And that, yeah, again, <laughs> I had no idea that that would be like the beginning of basically that happening over and over and over again for 17 more years. I mean, it just was that, it just has been that way more or less like since then. And yeah. And, and then after about two years into that, I did, I met my first, uh, what I call a Wami, which is another woman with a mysterious illness. And that was when I, it was like the first time I realized like, Oh wait, I am not the only person. Cause I really, thought I was the craziest, craziest case like that anyone had ever seen. And then I met this other woman and she's describing her illness to me. And I was like, wait, wait. I mean, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me. And then I met another woman. She said the same thing. And that, that was the beginning of just like, yeah, like one reality is starting to disintegrate and like another one starting to take shape. And it's just like, oh, I think something... I think something is wrong here like I think I I think there's something going on with in in medicine like in the doctor's minds that is like completely at odds with reality the reality of these patients and I don't know why but yeah. that seems really clear to me and then and then I started working on researching that and, and interviewing a lot of people like like us yeah I think that that story about it being a psychological issue is the most rampant story. Like I've heard it in so many people's stories. Yeah, it's, uh, it is the thing that if, if I could in doing anything that I'm doing right now, like writing a book or talking to people or doing interviews, that is the only thing that I think like needs to change like that, that that would change things so radically for the patient because it's so damaging to be told that you're making something up or that you're hysterical or histrionic or a, a million different things that they suggest to you it's because it's one thing to be sick but it's different it's a, it's a, it compounds it by exponential degrees to be told that you're also like a bad person <laughs> like yeah. that there's something wrong with you as a as a human and that so it's because it's not i have to say it's not always just that they're like oh this it's not like they're like compassionately like well i actually think this is you know a mental illness but we're gonna like take care of you and we're gonna deal with it that way it's not that is not the way that they're coming at it it's like i think that you're lying to me or i think that you're oversensitive or i think that you're you know, an attention seeker, just any number of just really horrible things to suggest to mm-hmm. somebody when, when they're suffering and when they're like coming to you as the only one that can help them, you know, I just, yeah. It's, it's so incredibly dismissive of like, yeah. of how you're feeling and what you're going through and what your experience is. And, and like, if, I mean, for me, I have Hashimoto's, it's a pretty, quote unquote, common um, 
like illness that I deal with. But even for me, the first thing that happened, they didn't even check for my thyroid. They immediately put me on antidepressants, told me that I was depressed. And then the antidepressant made me insane, like an entirely different person. And I took, I literally took myself off of it. And then I spent years just assuming that this was the way that it was going to be. And it honestly, it wasn't until just some random doctor was like, "Mm, I'll test your thyroid. And then, and then it, you know, it just continued from there. But like, anytime I would say I wasn't feeling well, even though I was on this medication, that's supposed to make me feel better. They were like, well, your levels are fine. So I think this is just the way that it is. And, (laughs) and it's, it's incredibly dismissive to tell someone that their symptoms don't matter, that they're making it up, that they're, um, that they're over exaggerating it, all of these things when you're in that moment and when, and I'm sure maybe you can speak to this too, but like after a while, I was like, am I a hypochondriac? Like, am I making these things bigger than they are? Am I a drama queen? I don't know. Like, yeah, no, it, it starts to burrow into your mind and it's very difficult to like get that like th- feeling about yourself out. <laughs> and it's, it, it's also, I, I read about this a little bit in the book, but it's not dissimilar to kind of what happens over in alternative medicine when you're told too many times that you've manifest this <laughs> for some, you know, reason having to do with the law of attraction or something like that. It's like, it, I, I think those, that approach is a little bit more benign because like it's trying to get you to like call on the powers of positive thinking, which I think can be helpful sometimes. But at the same time, if you don't get better because you start thinking the right thoughts, then it's really hard to protect yourself from thinking like, I'm doing this to myself. Like I, it just, it's just another thing that turns you against yourself. And that is just like, to me, it just makes me so mad (laughs) because I just see this happen to so many people. And I just want to like throw myself on the tracks in front of them. Just be like, no, like it's just because like I said before, like it, it's enough to be sick and to be suffering. Like that's enough. But to add all of this on top of it is just so, it's just like insult to injury. And it's, and it doesn't need to be happening. There is no reason for that because this is what I always think about when it comes to like, when you're, you were saying like, Oh, I've had these experiences myself. And I've obviously I've talked to so many people. That's like the whole premise of the whole thing is like, it's just so many people have the same story. And so, you know, and I know because my parents are doctors that they see this all the time. So it's not like, it's just like one person that wandered into their office one day and was kind of acting kooky or something. And they, you know, that is not it. They're clearly seeing this a lot. And so to just be writing off this whole group of women as like, well, you, it's basically just like, well, you know how women are like, and it's just like, I just, that makes me so mad. Like, because it's, you, you're, you're not allowed to do that. You can't, you can't do that. You need to be able to listen to patients in, even in the absence of data, because the only way to generate data is for physicians and researchers to believe something is real and then go out and secure the funding and then generate the data and the research to prove that it's real. Like that's how that cycle works. It doesn't, it's not like the data just falls out of the sky. (laughs) Like it has to come from the researchers. And so 
and the researchers have to believe that it's like a valid and worthy thing to be studying and to be researching. And so that, that original thing of like doctors and the scientific community believing women really matters. I really think it's at the root of the, of the issue for me. That's what I think. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think that, and I hope that this, this movement that seems to be happening within the chronic illness space of, for, I mean, mostly women, there's still definitely men with chronic, my husband does have them as well. But like, just being able to step into that place of first, um, understanding that while a doctor is important, they are not a God. They are not Mm -hmm. the universe. They are not whatever higher power you believe in. Um, Mm -hmm. They're just a human that knows what they know and, and you know your body. So it's getting into that space of being an advocate for yourself and understanding if a doctor tells you something that you don't agree with, um, and you, you still know your body best. And, and while I think it's important to like, to obviously like listen to those that have been trained in, in things that you haven't been in the end, you know, even for example, like I've been to GI doctors who are like, you're, you are not allergic to gluten. You're fine. And I'm like, interesting. Every time I eat gluten, my yeah. <laughs> it looks like I'm nine months pregnant. So I'm still not the diet that I'm looking at this. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, no. it's got to be dairy. And I'm like, I'm not eating dairy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like, just as like a funny example of like, I mean, they know what they know. And, but in the end, like this movement, I think that, that women specifically are getting to a place where they're like, no, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I'm going to advocate for myself. And I think that it's important that people like you and like me and other people in the, in the area and that deal with this speak up and encourage people to do this. Yes, exactly. And, and it doesn't have to be antagonistic, like, oh, doctors are horrible. And it's like, and and it also doesn't have to be, because I, 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 I feel very sensitive to like we are in this moment of like post truth and post fact and like people really don't want medicine to be questioned at all because they don't want you know you have to have some like you know sense of reality and that we can all like a shared reality that we can all rely on like I really get that and I I also want that but then but that it just isn't true that science is just like this monolithic truth machine that like the data of life goes in and like the truth comes out on the other side. Like that's just, it's not, it's made up of a bunch of human beings that have their own biases and their own, you know, life experiences that inform the way that they practice medicine or generate data or, or do whatever. And like, that's, that is the reality. Like you can't, I I know so many people who treat research and medicine and science as if it's a computer and it just isn't. (laughs) It's, it's so much more, uh, it's made up of human beings using computers, <laughs> like, but yeah. they, but the, but they are, those human beings are flawed, just like the patients they're telling are that they're telling their patients that they're flawed. It's like, but so, so are the doctors and researchers. And it's just important to have some sense of accountability and like ability to look at, at themselves sometimes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. And like, even as a bystander. So, I mean, I've lived my life with 
um, knowing that I had chronic illness for 10 years, but my husband Mm -hmm. got sick about two years ago and he went through similar issues, which were, you know, two of his best friends at the time were doctors. Um, his brother's, um, girlfriend was in school to be a doctor. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as he got really sick and was having these, these crazy symptoms that nobody could figure out and he was in and out of the ER, they, they literally were just like, it's anxiety and it's depression. And he was like, no, it's not (laughs) like, I I feel anxious and depressed because of this yeah. thing that's happening to me that nobody believes exactly. is happening. And it was interesting for him. And like, once he was able to get through the, the sickest part of his journey, he was like, he's like, honestly, I haven't been in many situations where I've been questioned that way. Like, and you know, and I think mm-hmm. that it's a, a thing that women deal with quite a bit in other yeah. aspects of life. And So, but it was interesting from a bystander also watching this and watching people that he loved not believe him. And, and I was, I was also just like, what what do you mean? (laughs) Like, I couldn't see this happening. Why can no one else see it? But I think when something is happening, especially hit, like he still doesn't know exactly what happened. So um, I think it's scary. And I know you went through similar, like, like not necessarily knowing what the diagnosis is and, and trying to figure that out. And then like also having t- people tell you that, that it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just crazy. It's like a terrifying experience to be a part of. It really is. It's I, I liken it to like, <laughs> that. I really think that doctors are most like um, firefighters because like, if you your house is burning down, like you can't put it out. Like you really need like a healthcare professional or doctor to help to, or you need a firefighter in that case. And then when you're sick, you're really sick. Like you cannot do it all by yourself. And, but in the same way that like, if you called up the fire department or like my house is burning down and they're like, mm, I don't think I buy it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. That's just like so scary because then your house burns to the ground and it's like, too bad for you and it's because of something that is totally outside of your control and you can't do anything about it and that's just like I I think like you said like it's I think very difficult to understand what it's like until you've experienced that like degree of a loss of control over just like basic reality of like your own understanding of like what's true and what's not true and like yeah. And it's, and again, that, that again is like why it is so important that if you're seeing this over and over and over again with your patients, then it's really important to like take a step back and be like, well, maybe we're wrong here. And not all of these people making up all, not just like the same like experience of life, but like, like the same weird symptoms and like the same, like I was just talking about this with somebody today. They were like, I mean, if I was going to make something up, I would make them something so much better. Like, <laughs> why would I make this up? <laughs> and yeah. it's like, exactly. Like, that's how I always felt. Like, if I was going to make it up, like, why would I make up, like, rectal itching? <laughs> like, right? nobody, nobody is like, you know what? I'm going to Yeah, exactly. Like, that is not, there is no secondary gain there. There's nothing, there's no upside, but... I've had plenty of people say that to me. They're like, well, you know, maybe there is though. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> yeah. So what what kind of gave you the idea to write about this? And did you start writing kind of in the midst of all of this happening? Yeah. So I so I got sick in 2003. I was sick for about a year and then I actually got um, a lot better for this like, brief window right in the beginning for about a year because I was put on um, an antifungal medication and I clearly have some issues with candida as like part of what I think drives the underlying issues in the microbiome and microglial inflammation, neuroinflammation, et cetera. But so I got a lot better, not, not by any stretch all better, but just significantly better for a year. And then I went back to graduate school for writing uh, uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. And I was um, writing about my grandmother at the time. And I kept trying to write these essays about her. But while I was at school, I like my health was starting to come apart again. And I just would be in the middle of writing an essay about grandma and like it would just like I like had to start writing about this thing that was so much more important to me which was like this all of this health stuff and that just seemed I, I think just for my own in the in the very beginning it was really just for me as like a cathartic experience to just like um reclaim like reality and like my own narrative and like because it had just been completely taken away from me for a while and that just like felt so bad and so I think writing about it was this way to like to to make it mine again and also to just like like make me feel sane again because I was like yes exactly (laughs) like this thing that I've just written down this is the truth it is not (laughs) all of these other things that these people who have met me for five minutes are telling me that I then carry around with me for years afterwards like they are not right and and I am (laughs) like and I just like really needed a way to like ground that experience into like something that was real and also that I could like you know I gave it to my writing workshop whatever and like I think giving it to other people to be witnessed by other people I think made a big difference for me to to like not be dealing with it 100% in isolation um and because that also was like the beginning of like coming out about all of these things because I just had not told a soul about any of it like it had been going on for two years and nobody except for the original injury nobody knew um that I was dealing with these things because it wasn't so severe at that point that I you know I could hide it which is I think what a lot of people do especially if they've been really shamed about these problems they just like you know put it they like stuff it down and they like lock it in the basement and they try to um go about their lives without anybody knowing which i think makes sense like i think it's better to to be out about it because then you can receive support from people but it also i i really understand that impulse to try to just like lock it away and pretend like it isn't happening so that you don't get that negative feedback from people who are like, Oh, are you really, you know, allergic to gluten or whatever, you know, like, you know, like, cause like you just don't want to deal with it. And so you don't talk to people. Um, I think that that's true kind of like all the way, like from minor stuff to major stuff. It's like, you just don't want that negative feedback um, Mm -hmm. from other people. Anyways. So when I was in school, I started writing about them. And then it was, it wasn't, it was in 2005. That was when I was like, I think 
I think a book about this would be, I like wanted to write a book that was like, I, I wanted it to be, <laughs> I'm just trying to think right now. In my mind, I wanted it to be like a, a book for ladies. I think it, I was getting really into learning about um, candida and like yeast stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to make like yeast ac- accessible <laughs> to people <laughs> and, to like, uh, and to make it like, no big deal and like uh something that you know this like the like the one of the grosser things like just something that people could talk about in my mind that's what the book was going to be that then it's obviously changed (laughs) yeah it's like the full story now yeah yeah (laughs) so um what do you do you even know what all of your mysterious illnesses are Yes. So I'm going to spoil Well, to the extent that the mystery illnesses are still, I think, I think it's very difficult for anyone, even when you've got a diagnosis, I think this area is really poorly studied. And so I think it's really common for people with chronic fatigue syndrome to like get a new diagnosis, like every other year of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's actually mass cell activation syndrome. Oh, it's actually postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Like, <laughs> And in reality, it's probably all of those things or, or it was a di- misdiagnosis or, I mean, I, I just think that we, that to me, those things, the things in the mystery illness category are, are related to one another and it's common for them to be comorbid, like the same way that like diabetes, obesity, like heart disease are comorbid and it's common to have them together. I think it's the same thing over here with these like neuroendocrine immune issues um it's the same reason i think that it's so common to like have a mystery illness but also uh an autoimmune disease like i think it's because there's like probably the same underlying generating factors that are creating you know one type of immune dysregulation maybe autoimmunity but maybe also a different type of immune dysregulation like mast cell activation syndrome for example like and so if like one of the theories like microbiome disruption, that's like one of the things people are working on now to study, that would make sense. Like the, the idea that maybe the microbiome is something to do, disruption in the microbiome is something to do with dysregulating immunity, you know, makes sense. Your microbiome has a lot to do with your immune system and et cetera. And so anyways, I, I think that it makes sense that these things all go together, but that doesn't make them all like, they're not all the same. <laughs> they're not all the same thing. Anyway, so the for me, um, sort of there are two two tracks that we finally kind of figured out with me and so one is the the mystery illness side of things and on that side I just have like a pretty clear presentation of just good old chronic fatigue syndrome myalgic encephalomyelitis I also have POTS which those don't always overlap but they often do like I have a lot of trouble with them with my blood pressure and standing up for any period of time and have to wear compression socks and things like that. Um, and that, and it all came on, which is really common with chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, you know, with that initial trauma and uh, septic event, you know, that's really common for it to be like a, a virus that comes in and triggers the same cascade or a car accident or a skiing accident or something like that. In my case, I think it was that probably the, the sepsis, um, but then also, and this is much more recent, but is at the very end of the book, uh, we've the, the thing that I thought was wrong 
not the whole time, but almost the whole time, is that that original thing with the urologist, um, I had asked doctor after doctor after doctor to like do more thorough, more sophisticated exams in the pelvic floor to look and see if there was something wrong because it really, really felt like not just like tension in the pelvic floor or something. It was just like catastrophic, like really bad pain. And it was all on the left side, just like very severe nerve pain. And I, I, that was the one area I really was told that all pelvic pain, once you've rolled out X, Y, and Z, is psychosomatic. And they just stopped exploring things after, I don't know, 2009, 10. And finally, I saw, it was kind of a long story, but I finally got this doctor to like reopen the case kind of under duress. I like forced him to do it. And he was like, well, you know, you might get uh, evaluated for something called a neuroma. And I had never even heard that word before. And so I look it up and it's like um, a mass of basically fibrous tissue or scarring or a tumor that is, uh, in, it basically grows on a nerve or on a, a section of nerves. And it is, if left, un, and it's, so it's secondary to like a trauma. So like a surgical trauma um, can cause an aroma to grow. Um, and I'm like reading about it. If left untreated, it becomes this thing that I also have, which is called complex regional pain syndrome, which is like this very, painful pain syndrome and and it's like a little mass that you can see and at the very beginning of my whole thing they did find a little mass on the sonogram but they're like oh I'm sure that's nothing <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and so when this guy said it to me well it's an aroma I was like I don't even know what that is so I google it and I was like what the fuck I could not believe because like just like the bullet points are like the things that I would go into to any doctor like the Mayo Clinic like oh my gosh like top doctors in the country had all heard the same story from me and nobody had suggested looking for that and I had asked them to do the test to look for something like that and they were like no we're not doing that for you that would be an indulgence we're not doing it and so anyway so I went to this center for pelvic pain in Phoenix uh and yeah, that's what I had. <laughs> they did. They finally did this test under. It's not exactly. It's very similar to an aroma. It's like a very dense mass, large mass of scar tissue that they found. That you have to do like use a special machine. It's not quite a transvaginal sonogram. It's like this special nervogram machine. Yeah, and I came out of anesthesia and I was so used to having tests be negative, and I was like, oh, it's not bad, is it? He's like. Oh, it's definitely that. He was like, yeah, I've got a big mass. He's like, I could actually feel it like with my hand. He was like, you were under anesthesia. He's like, but I was able to like go in and you could like, it's big. He's like, it's really big. I can't believe that nobody has seen this before. And so he was like, yeah, so that's almost for sure what's causing, you know, the very severe pain. And it's because it's probably been there for so long. What likely happened is that you had this, something must have gone wrong in the original thing which you suspected because you went into septic shock afterwards so obviously something went wrong and you developed all this pelvic pain only on the left side which is exactly what would have happened if there had been basically a mistake made in that procedure and then some scar tissue started to form slowly after that and only just got worse over time and so he's like so I think that that's I think that that's it <laughs> and and yeah and so that is I'm pretty sure. And then what followed on that is also my colon had stopped working. And 
there's a diagnosis called a neurogenic bowel, which is when a, it's basically a colon completely shuts down and stops functioning. But it only does that um, because the nerves have been damaged. And nobody had ever considered that before because nobody thought that I had damaged nerves. So anytime I said, like, oh, I have, my colon doesn't function at all, they were like, hmm. <laughs> well, probably, probably IBS. And I was like, no, 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 no. Oh my gosh, the IBS <laughs> word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, know. I know. Anyway, so that's, that's fair. I know it's like kind of complicated, but basically super bad injury that caused the colon to shut down, really bad pain syndrome because it wasn't treated. And then all of that, unfortunately, like also kicked off the chronic fatigue kind of stuff at the same time. But for reasons I think that make sense, it's a, it's a, the thing that happened to me at the beginning is a pretty common trigger for this type of uh, issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's just insane how connected all of this, all of it is for you. And like you had mentioned too in your story, um, like people with autoimmune disease, a lot of times tend to have another autoimmune disease or they have other issues. Like for me, I have Hashimoto's, but I have consistent gut issues that we haven't figured out and like consistent brain fog and migraines and stuff. And, and they're just kind of (laughs) like, like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. So, right. It, well, I was just going to say, which like, I feel like it should not be this way, but like, I could have told you that, like, cause that's so common that it's, you have gut issues and brain fog and an autoimmune disease and, you know, like maybe an endocrine problem thrown in there. Like, it's just like so common. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me that we know this, but somehow when you go to the doctor, it's as if, nobody's had such a crazy collection of problems and the whole experience of treating us. It's very strange. Especially because like in other instances, like the medical system is so brilliant. Like, yes, (laughs) all of these like cures for cancer and cures for all these other things. And, and, and just all of this brilliance (laughs) in other aspects. But when it comes to like chronic symptoms, they're like, nah, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's focus on the important stuff. I uh, we, actually right now, all the book stuff, because it comes out next week, it's all been canceled because of the virus, which virus. totally, totally get it. But it is like the single most on-brand thing of my entire life. So, like, <laughs> my book about like dismissed and forgotten diseases that are considered like much less important than quote real diseases is being bumped at very real. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That is like, again, another one of those funny, but not funny moments. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes sense. (laughs) It is. It was, it started to happen and I was just like, oh my God. Oh oh my God. It's like so (laughs) funny that it like kind of takes away the the sadness. (laughs) I'm just like, I can't, I cannot believe this. Anyways, but, but what, something I wanted to say though about the rest of the medical system, because I feel like this is really important because I'm so critical of doctors is like I so I just had because of the neurogenic bowel issue I just had um, an ileostomy recently so like an, it's like a colostomy bag but on the other side and I in getting that medical treatment once they once they were like you have neurogenic bowel an ileostomy is the right thing to do once I suddenly had like a like a concrete diagnosis and a, and a plan and something that everybody knew how to do it is as if I transformed into 
a totally different person in everyone's eyes as like everything I have to say is absolutely valid. People are really quite caring. And like, if I have a concern, they are interested and listen. And it's like, I am the exact same person as before and patient as before. There is no reason why I would be making up those things over there and not these things over here. Like it just has been clarifying to me. That's like, right, of course, it's not been me this whole time. It's just that we understand these things over here and we don't understand these things over here. And when medicine doesn't understand things, they do not have like a, an emotionally sophisticated response to those things. Yeah. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it yeah. really does. That's such, that's such an important point. I think it's, it's just, it's to me the amount of healing and like wonderful just wonderful living that could happen if we would just like sit for a second and be like hmm this is weird <laughs> yeah. think about this you know but i mean to be fair like actually um someone i know ended up deciding she didn't want to be a doctor because she was like you know, I, I actually want to help people. And as a doctor, I get 15 minutes with each person. Like this yeah. is just the natural, the way that it is. Yeah, no, I, I do think that a lot of it, a lot of like doctor's behavior is you're right being driven by kind of the system that is kind of crushing them and forcing them to, to, to practice medicine in a way that so many of them don't want to, don't want to be practicing medicine. And yeah, it's something I think about a lot too because it just seems to me like it would be in everyone's best interest to, um, for like just for like insurance companies to start covering things like you know yoga and fruits and vegetables and just like basic wellness stuff because that stuff is cheap compared to like having to cover like a colonoscopy and like having to cover like all these really expensive procedures that like that we clearly could be at least reducing the incidences of a lot of these other problems and like and it just it just when I see doctors being so overwhelmed I'm like well there does seem like there are other levers that we could pull within the medical system and like working with insurance, I think would be kind of one of them to help people like help themselves just to like, not, not that wellness stuff is a cure for things. It, it, it isn't, but I think it can help a lot of, a lot of people and it can lessen certainly lots of symptoms and sometimes reverse them. And that's like, if you can do that, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> if, if doctors are so overwhelmed, then, then we should be taking these other things seriously because then we can take some of that burden off of them so that the system's not so overwhelmed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that proactive action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how, how is life for you now? Um, it's, so I'm not like cured and all better. Mm-hmm. I, um, it's funny. I think anybody that has chronic fatigue syndrome and has been to like the very bad place, like the, the, which I was for about three years, which is like the complete bedridden, like having to be fed soup and bathed. And I mean, just like a, a horror, horror show. It's so bad. I was that way for a long time. And so being here where I'm like doing an interview, like, you know, I'm like, up and about to me feels just like a huge victory but I'm still like compared to any regular person like 
quite limited in terms of what I could do. Like I could only do, you know, one interview a day, (laughs) but even just doing that is like, is a big deal. And so, but yeah, so I still certainly have um, these problems, but they're, they're more managed than they, than they were at, at certain points. But they're also, I would say, I have to say worse than they were in the beginning. In the beginning, I thought things were so bad, but it's just because I had not experienced how bad they could become. And so, yeah, yeah, it's kind of somewhere in between there. Yeah. Are there any, like, I know for me, just having some sort of ritual or routine, while it doesn't cure me or make, but it mm-hmm. will like help me have a little bit more energy than I normally would or, or things like that. Are there any things that like, that you really love to do that help you? Totally. So, yeah, so I, I am actually, I'm like a huge advocate for like the, all of these things just because I think they've helped people and they, they help you feel better. And like, we should at least have that op- offered to us as an option. <laughs> um, but uh, so for me, like, you know, I'm on a diet of, you know, real, real food and um, I practice like really, <laughs> Uh, really good sleep hygiene. Like I, I feel like I don't even do that anymore. I just like fall asleep quite or, quite early. But I, but for a while I had to like really implement like not staying up late because I just feel so much worse if I did that. Um, and and I have for me exercise is helpful if I just do what I am able to do, which is really a, a very small amount. But if I do nothing, if I just say like you know, like, like, I can't believe they told me to exercise, like, then I actually feel worse. And so, but I also cannot do like what, I don't know, my yoga teacher would want me to do, or like, I don't go, I can't go to like a class anymore. But like, I just do what I am able to do at home. And and that, for me, is like, again, that's kind of like one of these things of just like learning to advocate for yourself like in a different way it's just like learning like that that applies also to even when you get into like taking care of yourself it's not going to be in the ways that like everyone is telling you to take care of yourself it's like probably unique to you what actually is like best for you and like really is nourishing and so so but like kind of those those basic things but then the main thing is um uh uh people (laughs) is making sure that i connect to other people like that's the thing that I have to like like really consciously uh, focus on because if I don't do that it's just too easy for me to like just fade away into oblivion (laughs) and um, so that's something I really have to like make sure it's in like my calendar and I am doing and, and even like pushing myself beyond sometimes what I feel physically able to do I will that is the one area where I will kind of like risk having like a little mini mini crash afterwards just because if I don't do that then I like don't see people and then my heart starts to atrophy and it's just mm-hmm. too yeah too sad and so there, so there are a couple things like that I think it's important not to push yourself too much but there's that's there are a couple things I think that are worth it like if it's good for your soul I think that it's often worth it yeah and I think that connection I think um it's so important. It can be done now so easily. I mean, we're talking via Zoom. Like, you can yeah, exactly. 
people. You can voice memo them. You could just send them a picture of yourself in your bed and be like, hey, I'm alive. How's it going? You know, versus totally. like if you're not able to get out of the house, right? Yes. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. Like one, when I was at that horrible, the upside down place that I was describing before, <laughs> one of the things that we did with my friends was like, I did not have the energy to like type messages. I did not have the energy to talk on the phone. But we, and so I kept despairing about there was nothing that I could do. But then we figured out that I could watch television and I could, we could all, my friends, we started a Facebook group just for me, which was very embarrassing, but we did it because I needed it. And we would all press play on like whoever could make it. We would, we would choose a movie and we would all press play at the same time and we'd start a thread and they would all like come start commenting on it and like kind of talking to me about it, even knowing that like I wasn't really going to respond very much. And it just made me, it was a situation where like, it felt like there was literally nothing I could do to connect to other people, but that actually was something that I could do. And it made me feel so much better. And it also just made me feel like I wasn't like worthless because like all my friends showed up and they like came to this Facebook group and they like watch this movie with me and it just it was it was I don't know it's just a small thing that we did but it was so it was so important to me at that at that time yeah that's so beautiful that's such a wonderful like a good community that you have over there I, I know I felt I was so grateful <laughs> I was like oh my god bless you all yeah. yeah yeah and I think too one thing with which is why I like to ask everybody about routines and rituals is just like remembering that like self-care is like this this word that everybody uses now but you know everybody's like oh okay I have to do I have to meditate because everybody else meditates I need to journal because everybody else meditates and one thing that I was talking about yesterday was self-care is care of yourself yeah so it's like you know like make it work for you and I love I love like the connecting via the Facebook group and the in a Netflix show or, or a movie or something together or you know just doing things that work for you and not and being like proud of that yeah totally and also I feel like this is super important really being willing to kind of embarrass yourself a little bit and like really ask for the help that you need like because it was very embarrassing to be like could we make a Facebook group for me <laughs> like I'm not the type of person that would ever in a billion years do that but I if I didn't do that, it was nothing for like literally years. And so I was like, I, I have to do this and I have to do these things that are embarrassing to me because way more important than me being embarrassed is me like feeling connected to the world around me. And so, yeah, but I do think that that's important because that I've seen for people that I know that that is a block. They're like, Oh, I could never do that. That was just like, I would feel stupid doing that. I'm like, oh, girl, you got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't if, matter. <laughs> yeah. If you think you're going to feel yeah. stupid, that's even more of a reason to do it. <laughs> exactly. 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 So I know your book is coming out next week, right? On yeah. what, what day? March? Uh, Tuesday on the 17th. On the 17th. So March 17th. So this episode will be up right after that. So when or how could people get the book if they were interested in finding out more about your story? Yeah, so you can, you know, order it on Amazon or any of the any of the Powell's or Barnes and Noble or anything like that. Or you can go to your uh, independent bookstore and order it from them. Uh, and you can also uh, get it from the library too. You can just ask your librarian to order it if it's outside 
budget right now. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's good also to get it stocked in the library. That's actually such a good idea. I always forget that you can ask for things like that just to like have Yes. It. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people that have chronic illness like are also just like, yeah, bankrupted <laughs> medical bills. And so, right. you know, I completely understand and you should, however, however it works for you is, is good. Yeah. So I feel like I could talk to you for like a hundred hours, but I'll be respectful of your time. <laughs> um, but is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today? Number one, you are not crazy. You are not alone. And I just, I, the, the main thing is, is like, I, at so many points in this, it was so bad. And I really felt like I just like couldn't, couldn't keep going and like couldn't, that there was no hope. And I really feel now that in this area that things are starting to change because of, for whatever reasons, like there's just a lot more advocacy, a lot more research being done, a lot more community, people are coming together on social media. It's just like, it is actually starting to change in a real way. And so just like, please, you know, hold on and, and, and have hope. I, I do think that, that there are some, there is some help on the way. Yeah. Yeah. And reach out to. Yes. And reach out to me, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. anyone. Yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. So like, I totally agree with that. And that's like, social media can be overwhelming sometimes, but like, it can be great in that way. Like I have met some really cool people going through similar things um, that have, you know, had my back in situations and, and just reach out to people and people will happily talk to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on today. It was so nice getting to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Make sure to snag Sarah's book and let us know what you think of it. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy out there and make sure to connect with us over here on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next week.